0: Without
1: further ado, that's what the game's all about.
2: All of a sudden you feel like you can't miss.
1: leave it up here.
2: You couldn't make that if you tried that again.
1: Absolutely not. Go. Hello and welcome to Buckets. I am your host, Brandon Anderson, and I'm here with a special guest today, Sam Vicini from the Athletic, from the Game Theory Podcast basketball expert extraordinaire welcome sam thanks for coming on well the only thing in the basketball world that matters to me more than
2: the nba draft is betting on basketball so (laughs) i could not be happier to be here i am ecstatic to be here and you know i'm really looking forward to having a conversation about this draft in this ncaa tournament which oh man
1: it is uh it is it is mess on both fronts. <laughs> it is. It's going to be a good one. I, I think we're going to get a lot of yeah. drama, a lot of upsets and weird outcomes, in interesting games. So yeah, Sam is one of the premier draft experts. So today is all about March Madness. You'll be getting this episode right as the games are starting out. And we just kind of want to get you ready for, as NBA fans, who am I watching for? Who are the guys to keep an eye on? Who are the possible number one picks? The, the thing I love about this year's March Madness, a lot of times we get you know, these guys, Ben Simmons, guys who are the number one pick, Markel Fultz, but then it gets to March. And you're like, wait, where, where are they? Who, who Who's playing? Or they're international guys or whatever. This year's draft, we're going to see all these top prospects playing. So the names we're going to talk about here are basically the top of the board. So uh, FanDuel just put up odds in the last few days for number one pick. We'll get into that as well. So we got to start at the top. Number one overall is seed, Gonzaga. Number one prospect coming into the season, Chet Holmgren, seven-foot freak out of Minnesota. So, Sam, where do we even start with on Chet Holmgren? This dude is is unlike anything I've ever seen before. Well, and before we start, I just want to point
2: everyone in the direction of the beautiful Big Bets on Campus podcast that Stucky and Jim Root was on earlier today. Uh, It's just a fantastic podcast. It's one of my favorite things to listen to. So as we get into March Madness and the NCAA tournament in general, I really wanted to just point people in that direction if you're looking for bets. Those guys do it better than basically anyone in the business, I think, especially uh, Stucky and Jim, and Stucky has a bunch of people on to begin with. But in terms of Chet Holmgren and the number one overall pick, look, I've chatted number one. I'm a little bit skeptical he'll go number one. I completely agree with your assessment that he is unlike anything that we've ever seen on a basketball court he's this seven foot one alien that is 190 pounds and can rebound the ball at a really high level like he's top 20 in the country in defensive rebounding rate because he's so good at high pointing the basketball once he rebounds it he can grab and go on the break handle actually like kind of break down guys like in space whenever he has the ball in transition uh it's a bizarre skill set to be quite real with it like you don't expect this guy who has this frame that, frankly, looks like it would be blown over if a stiff wind like came through the basketball court. And here you go, like you get this guy. He grabs a rebound, dribbles five times before he gets to half court. Then takes two dribbles, crosses a guy over, you know, gathers from the three point line and goes and lays it in or dunks. Like it's just like, what are we doing here? And then on top of it, he shoots forty percent from three and. It's a really just an impressive set of skills. I mean, he can really pass the ball, but the craziest thing on top of that is that I think when people look at him, they get the wrong impression about what kind of player he is. Chet Holmgren is competitive as hell. Like he fights, he battles for every single inch on the court. There's no like contact aversion here for someone who's skinny. This dude wants to get after it. He wants to contest every single shot at the rim. He doesn't care if he gets dunked on. He doesn't get dunked on that often at the college level just because he has a 7 foot 6 wingspan. But like he is incredibly competitive and because of that he's an unbelievable rim protector. I thought he was one of the, you know, 6 or so best defensive players in college basketball this season. I mean, Gonzaga has a top 10 adjusted defensive efficiency right now. Essentially because of him. I mean, like Andrew Nemhard is good positionally, but he's not the quickest guy in the world. Uh, Julian Strother is not the quickest guy in the world. Drew Timmy is a sieve defensively. Like we can just be real about that. Like he's a really good offensive player, but he has no chance defensively, especially in space. Chet Holmgren cleans up for all these guys. They have a top 10 defense because of him and because of his rim protection. He's really good in drop settings. You can switch him in college. I'm a little bit skeptical on whether or not he's going to be able to switch it all in the NBA. But, you know, when you're that big, that long, and you're that competitive as a rim protector, it's a really, really impressive set of skills. And what it's going to come down to for Chet is simply just how does the frame develop? Uh, It's, you know, the closest thing I can think of is like Chris Boucher uh, for the Toronto Raptors in terms of purely frame. I think that Chet is much better than Chris Boucher. Uh, much more complete skill set, but just like how does he continue to put strength on this frame? His lower half is not super strong, his shoulders are a little bit narrow. I, I think that that's why teams are kind of struggling right now just to figure out okay, what do we think of this guy? Like it, it, he's more polarizing for front offices than what his production and skill set would lead you to believe. And I, I tend to be on the high end,
1: but there are going to be some people that are, you know, a little bit on the lower end for Chet, too. Yeah, he's a tough one to, to figure out because, you know, if you haven't seen him yet, you put the game on and immediately you see the guy and you're like, no, no, that's not going to work in the NBA. Like you just, you look and you're like, oh, somebody's going to dunk on him. He's going to shatter into a million pieces. And that will be the end of Chet Holmgren as we knew him. But this is not new for Chet. You know, like he has been dominating at every level and we've been watching him for, for years now do what he does. He scores efficiently all the advanced metrics, everything is off the charts. Like all the shooting, yeah. all the scoring, everything is there. He doesn't, I don't know that he's ever going to be like a big time score. And you expect your number one pick to be a monster score. That's just what we think of, but uh, he, he's a connector. And I feel like he's going to, he, he seems like a guy that will be even better with better talent around him. And I yeah. think he's a multiplier. Like he's going to make the guys around him better. And I, I got excited thinking about this. He's American guys from Minnesota. That is the perfect international ball center. Give me that guy, Chad Holmgren on our next like four Olympic teams. Yes, please. Yeah, Yeah, no, totally. I think you hit the nail on the head. His game is
2: incredibly scalable toward playing with winning talent as he showed this year at Gonzaga, by the way, like Gonzaga is a team that is filled with older players. Raseer Bolton is a senior. Andrew Nemhart is a fifth year senior. Um, Drew Timmy is a third-year junior who was an All-American last season. You would have thought that, and look, like, Mark Hughes, unbelievable getting these guys to buy in and willing and able to play the role that they're asked to play. But you know what, man? Like, it it could have gone a different way. But because Chet's game fits so well uh, within the construct of a team and within the construct of an unselfish setting, I don't see any issues here. Like, I I just really, I I see the issue with the frame. But in terms of when you get that dude on the court, he's real. You have to watch him to get it. Like, you you have to watch full games to get it. Even when you watch highlights, I feel like, you almost don't get the full picture, despite the fact that his highlights are immensely impressive. Like, I remember that there's a play against San Francisco that I always point to where, like, he dribbled left once, you know, then crossed over, dribbled right, drop stepped, spun back, and then threw down like a tomahawk dunk. Yeah. And it's just like this dude's seven foot one. Like what the fuck are we doing here? Right? Like how how does this happen? And you know, like the, the highlights are real, but I think that with the highlights, you still don't get the full picture of how competitive he is and how he works around his physical limitations in a real way. So um, I think Chet is outstanding. I am an enormous, enormous fan of Chet Holmgren. Uh, it's, it, took, and it even took me a while to buy in. Like it really did. Like I, early in the year, i had Paulo at number one, mid-year I had Jabari Smith at number one. Like it, it took me a while, but at the end of the day, I think it's just really hard to ignore how effective Chet Holmgren is across all facets of basketball and how they translate toward winning situations.
1: Yeah, I think Chet is going to maybe benefit as well from it coming the year after Evan Mobley. Not that they're the same player, but a lot of those frame questions we had about Mobley, seeing him be this good, this fast in the NBA, I think is going to maybe embolden the right GM. So you said you don't think Chet Holmgren necessarily goes number one. Well, and I think it's worth
2: just addressing the Evan Mobley thing, because I think that is a comparison that comes up pretty often, right? He's definitely not Evan Mobley. Like, I think Evan Mobley is a better prospect than Chet Holmgren. It's because he's a more fluid athlete laterally. And on top of that, Evan Mobley has like 25 pounds on him. That's the crazy thing. Yeah. Like, that's so much weight. <laughs> he has 25 pounds on him. Like, I, it's, it's, it's unlike anything you will ever see on a basketball court. But I'm sorry for interrupting. I, just, yeah. I know that that's like a natural comparison point
1: for NBA fans, but um, I do think it is different in the case of Evan. So, Chet does not look like a thing we've seen before. Jabari Smith looks like a thing we've seen before. Jabari Smith, that jumper is wet. Like this dude just pulls up right over you. You can be in his grill and he's got, he's six foot 10. He just shoots right over top of you and he just looks and oozes NBA stardom. Uh, Is he the guy that you expect to go number one at this point? He'd be my favorite. Certainly like
2: there, this is absolutely an eye of the beholder draft, especially among those top two names. I think that Paulo Bancaro has his fans. I think Jade Nivey has his fans. I, I would say that the top pick is more likely to come from Chet Holmgren or Jabari Smith than it is anyone else. But there are guys out there that could take the crown on some level. Right. Um, in the case of Jabari, it's kind of exactly what you said in terms of just like, whereas with chet it's hard to conceptualize something you haven't seen before with jabari it's easy to conceptualize exactly what you've seen before right like jabari smith is your typical six foot ten floor spacer except he's probably the best shooter among that group of the traditional like oh six foot ten or taller floor spacers that i've evaluated like Jaron Jackson, I think, fits in this mold. Lowry Markkinen fits in this mold. Um, You you know, like there are a number of, you know, Carl Towns, I think, on some level fits in this mold. Uh, Even though he didn't take threes in college, we felt pretty good that he was going to be at least a passable shooter whenever he got to the NBA, and he's since just developed into, like, maybe the best big shooter of all time. Um, In the case of Jabari, I've never seen an 18-year-old that is this polished as a shooter. He has an exceptionally high release point. He has a very quiet shot. He can get into his pull-up game going to the step back, especially to the left, extremely effectively. Uh, It's a very, very polished overall shot with great footwork, great balance. Um, I have every single belief that he's going to be somewhere in the vein of like 39 to 41% three-point shooter. In the NBA, uh, especially if he gets open ones off the catch playing with a really good point guard. Uh, defensively, he's also pretty good. Like he's not some crazy, you know, all defense level impact player right now, in my opinion. But he is someone that I think is going to be effective uh, defensively in the NBA level. He has good lateral quickness. He's switchable. He has good help instincts, not like elite level playmaking help instincts. Throw the shooting with the defense. And again, it's just a very scalable skill set toward winning situations, which is why, again, Auburn, very, very good basketball team this year. Uh, You know, Jabari plays a critical role in that, along with Walker Kessler. Now, you know, the, the questions with Jabari are, does he handle the ball well enough? Does he see the court well enough? What is his passing like? It is important to remember that he's almost a full year younger than Chet Holmgren. And... Because of that, I think his game, in terms of the feel, has probably come along just a little bit slower. But those are the questions here. He's weirdly probably a bit more of an unfinished product
1: uh, than Chet Holmgren, which probably says a lot given how effective he is already. Yeah, I think so. And So FanDuel right now just put odds up a couple days ago for the number one pick. Jabari Smith right now is even odds, plus 100. Chet Holmgren is plus 115. We'll come back to some of the other guys that could be in play, but between those two, if you had to put a bet on one of them, are you leaning Jabari right now? I would lean Jabari right now. I think that there are probably more teams
2: that would feel comfortable drafting what they've seen before with Jabari yeah. Smith. Now we have a long way to the draft. We have a very, very long way to the draft. Um we don't know what's going to happen in the pre-draft process. We, you know, we don't know how any of these guys are going to test medically. I would assume they're all going to be fine because ninety percent of guys end up fine. But like, you just never know, right? Like, there are so many factors that are going to be at play here. But right now, on March, I think it's thirteenth in the United States. Like, I feel like those are probably the right odds to have Jabari at number one. I would even probably have Chet a little bit longer in terms of odds than plus one fifteen. I don't see a ton of value there right
1: now. And it's hard to get longer than Chad Holmgren. The dude is long as the <laughs> as the night is long. Uh, so Paulo Bonquero, I think if you are somewhat of a casual fan, just tuning in the March Madness, I think you probably think Paulo is the favorite to be the number one pick right now. He's the guy that I feel like ESPN is kind of hyped up and talked. He's on Duke. We know we're going to get a lot of Duke attention. to Coach K's final tournament. We might get Gonzaga Duke in the Elite Eight matchup. We got that matchup earlier in the year. So, Paolo is six foot 10, reminds me style wise, just of kind of the way Julius Randle plays. Uh, a lot of the offense runs through Paulo, for better and for worse, I think, at times. Uh, I know that you're a bit lower. You have him number four on your board. So, not exactly low, but uh, not really right up at the top with these guys. What are your thoughts on Ben Caro? It's funny, you know, I just
2: sent a text message to my podcast partner um over on the Game Theory Podcast, Matt Penny. And I was like, you know, I think I would have Paulo at three now. And it's in part because you know, you know what? Like I'll get into that in a minute. It, let's just talk about Paulo here. Paulo is this six foot ten, extremely polished shot creator. Like you mentioned Julius Randle and I think that from a an effect on the game perspective, that's probably like a pretty good comparison in terms of what he is and what he can be. He can really pass the ball at a high level. He's a great scorer. Uh, But whereas like Julius is, you know, I'm going to put my shoulder into you and create space that way and get to the rim or, you know, put my shoulder into you and kind of shoot that like little push shot or, you know, create that little bit of separation that way. Paulo is kind of wild off the bounce, like a really, really impressive player. For a kid that's still a teenager in terms of just his fluidity with his footwork, his handle, he can get to his step back, just creating separation with his hesitation game and with his, you know, right to left, left to right game, uh, you know, laterally, uh, when he's handling the ball. So it, it's a really, really impressive skill set in terms of how dynamic he is when he has space on the court, especially in the mid-post, to be able to create shots. Like there are some people who've compared him to Carmelo Anthony. Like, I don't think he's that fluid, but I do think that there is some of that there in terms of like, okay, I can jab step you. I can put the ball on the deck with my right hand, cross back to the left and take like a, you know, mid range jumper. Right. Like I understand what people are going for when they say Carmelo, even though I don't think he's quite that Um, in the case of Paulo, where the concerns come in is that he's a six foot 10, 250 pound big, essentially, that isn't a great rim protector and doesn't have like crazy lateral ability. He's good rotationally, defensively, I actually think. Like, he doesn't get lost all the time. Like, it's funny, Mark Williams is a better defender than he is, he's more impactful. I actually think Paulo rotates on time a little bit more often than Mark does. Like Mark is seven foot one and has a seven foot seven wingspan and his margin for error is just so big that like, it's just kind of easier for him in a way. Uh, Paulo has zero margin for error when he's a big, basically because of that kind of weird mix of not crazy lateral quickness. But not a ton of length and you know, just not kind of being in between the four and the five. But I don't think he's gonna be like he's not Obi Toppin defensively either. Like his feet are not that bad, and his rotational awareness for being a teenager is much higher. His feel for the game is higher. So like it's hard. Like I, I really like Paulo. I think the big thing that's happening here, and this is what I alluded to at the start of this that I didn't want to bring up immediately. Uh I don't think this Duke team has been well coached this year. This Duke team is put into disadvantageous situations defensively far too often. And Paulo ends up on an island out on the perimeter way too regularly. Or he ends up like as the five man where he has to like totally be the rim protector when that's just like not a thing that he's all that good at right now, uh, far too regularly. And on top of that, you mentioned that the offense kind of runs through him. I don't really think it does enough. Like, I, I think that they don't get him the ball in advantageous positions for his game. Like you look at, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about Keegan Murray. Iowa runs shit through Keegan Murray, right? Like he yeah. is their hub. They empty out the side of the floor. They throw an entry pass into him. And then the other guy goes onto to the other side of the court. And it's one-on-one. Keegan has an empty, emptied outside of the court and they're going. With Duke, that never really happens because their guards aren't good enough at throwing the ball into the post um to create those advantageous situations and I don't think that they really run sets often enough to do that, like the ones that they run I think are actually really effective, but they don't do it often enough, and that's you know a bit of a it's it's been like one of my annoying things this year, and it's frustrating because with Keegan like Keegan can really Score, but I don't think he's a good passer. I don't think he reads the double all that well yet. Paulo's a great passer. He really reads the double team well. Like he sees the court. I think you could literally run everything through him if you were Duke, but they just don't. And it's,
1: I, I don't know what to do. Yeah, I don't know how many times I have in my notes this year. Somebody needs to tell Keels he's not the best player on the court. Like the dude is yeah. just, it's taking so many shots, but, but there's coaching at some point too, you know, the, the coach, that's who needs to say, Hey, we're going to give AJ Griffin and Paolo a few more looks on the next times down or in crunch time coming up. So I get stuck a little bit on Paolo because I wonder what does, you know, I feel like of these three, he's the easiest to picture in the NBA. You, You can see, we've seen big men like him, these talented big men kind of facilitating handling with those, you know, the smoothness and being able to, to pass, to shoot, create their own shot. But I also you know, we talked about Julius Randle. we talked about Carmelo Anthony, he's not either of them. But on both of those guys, there was a ceiling, like I think about what yeah. does the NBA team look like with Paulo? It's maybe a good offense, but I'm not sure a great one, like an elite one. And I don't know that the defense is going to be great. He's not going to necessarily be the reason that it would be great. And so for me, that's the concern team building perspective. I feel like uh, the other two guys, Jabari and Chat, are much more scalable to a great championship team. I don't know if Paulo is a championship team in the NBA. I'm not sure he is at Duke either. I think that you hit the right
2: word there. I think scalable is the key word. Yeah. Because when I watch Paulo, I think that the margin for error is lower for him. I think you can do it because I think his feel for the game is high enough. Like, again, it's not like an Obi Toppin situation. I think his feels higher than Julius Randle. I think Carmelo's like kind of a special case because he's just such an elite scorer and always has been that it's, you can't say he's a low feel player. I don't think, even though he's had the defensive deficiencies throughout his career and hasn't always been a totally unselfish passer. Um, he just has that like Hooper mentality that, you know, I, I can't, I can't call that lack of feel necessarily. It's just, you know, the uh, play style. Right. Um, I don't think Paulo is like that. I think that he's willing to play within a team construct and he does make timely rotations on defense, but you're right in terms of the physical limitations that he does have with not great lateral quickness and, you know, having shorter arms, I think it's like a 7.75 wingspan It's six foot 10, something in that ballpark. Um, like, it's not going to be the easiest thing for him. But I think because he has that natural basketball intelligence, he has the passing, like he shows it regularly. He has the rotational awareness. I think you can make it work. I think that you can play him at the four and make it work. I'm not totally sold on him as like a regular small ball five. I don't think that that's going to be great for a team's defense. No. But I think that you can... I think the margin for error is lower than it is for Jabari Smith and Chet, which is why I have Paolo at three. But I do think that you can make it work in the NBA in the right team building construct. It just might make it a little bit harder to kind of fit all of his skills around it, which is something that NBA teams, you know, will have to make a decision on.
1: They might be willing to go down that road. They might not be. So Paolo is Davin one right now at FanDuel to be the number one pick. Do you think that there's an NBA team that are there teams still considering him at number one and is seven to one in play for you on him? You know, I've talked to enough teams that
2: think of it as a three person race. Some teams think of it as a two person race. Some teams have Jade Ivey, you know, slightly ahead of him. Right. Like I've heard kind of all over the map on Paulo. There is some polarization there. Don't think I've talked to anyone in the last month that has him at one necessarily. Like thinks he's like the best player in the draft, right? Um, he's the guy. Now, how much of that is teams already like obfuscating? Who knows, right? Um, based off of what I know right now, I think seven to one is probably pretty close. There's probably some value to be had there. I would say that like, if I was handicapping it, I do think that like, you know, 55% ish, 50% for Jabari Smith right now. And I would say probably 35% maybe for Chet. And that leaves like another 10% for Paulo, for Jaden Ivy, for, um, you know x y and z whatever keegan murray stands that are out there whatever we get from shade and sharp if he ends up deciding to declare um i, I would kind of handicap it right there it's seven to one you know you're getting implied odds of what 13 almost yeah 12 and a half would be eight so i think 14 is maybe 15 14 to 15 something like that yeah um it doesn't seem like quite enough to me to pull the trigger, but um, I I get it at the end of the day, I would say.
1: But can I interest you instead in two and a half percent implied on the next guy on the board? I think the last one with any realistic shot right now, that's Jaden Ivy. We've, we've talked about him a little bit on your last board at the athletic. You had Ivy ahead of Paulo. You just said, you got Paulo back ahead. It's fluid. It's, you know, it's changing every week right now, how this goes. Talk to me a little bit about Jaden Ivy. And is he, Is he in the mix for number one? Yeah, just a completely electric
2: guard. Um, Utterly electric in terms of when he has the ball in his hands, his ability to get downhill and make shit happen is real. Uh, He has pretty good handle, uh, especially in open spaces. He is a better live dribble passer, I think, right now in transition than he is like out of ball screens and out of... um, you know, you know, isolation situations in half court settings. I think that's going to be what takes him some time in the NBA. It's kind of a similar situation to Jalen Suggs for me last year on that end. I actually think Jalen Suggs is a better defender than he is by a pretty substantial margin. But I think that Jaden's probably a little bit more polished in terms of his ability out of ball screens and, you know, just diagnosing defenses and figuring out, you know, where to put the ball and everything. He plays oftentimes as a two for Purdue over the back half of their season, especially in the second halves, they've let him kind of run the show a little bit more. And it's been mostly good results. There've been some hiccups here and there in terms of shot selection, in terms of finding his teammates in the right spots, not missing reads uh, to open players at the basket. It's going to be a process, but in terms of pure athletic upside, Jaden Ivey is going to enter the NBA as one of the five or six most athletic, you know, lead combo guards in the league from day one. It'll be like, he's not a John Morant level athlete, which is who he's often compared to. His mother worked for the Memphis Grizzlies for a while. You know, I think that Jaden kind of tries to implement some of what John Morant has done, but I think it's kind of worth remembering how, Unbelievable, John Morant was in college. (laughs) He averaged 25 points and ten assists per game at Murray State. Uh, It was impossible. I think it is also worth noting that when fans who are just watching college basketball for the first time this week tune into Purdue, you're going to notice that they play two post bigs um, all the time. They only play one at a time, but one of Zach Eadie or Trevion Williams is always on the court. Eadie and Williams are very different. Eadie's your traditional back-to-the-basket, Boban Marjanovic-style super giant center who efficiently scores. Trevion Williams is almost like a bigger-bodied Draymond Green on offense yeah. who's an exceptionally high-level passer. Um, no, nowhere near Draymond on defense, like not even in the same ballpark, but like offensively you know, can really make all of the craziest passing reads imaginable. Like he threw one in their last game where it was like a behind the back bounce pass, um, you know, off the block to a cutter. And it was just like, I don't know how you saw that even like, I I don't get it. But in the case of Purdue, the court is often extremely clogged. And I think that that probably tints our view right now of what Jaden Ivy is. At 40 to one, which was your original question at two and a half percent odds, that's probably the one that I like the most. If you're throwing like a low dollar amount flyer on something, because I can see a world where Jade and Ivy goes into a workout in an NBA setting and blows the doors off the place. I, you know, I don't know what Chet's going to look like in a workout. I don't know what bigs are going to look like in a workout. Right. Um, Jabari, I think will probably be very impressive in a workout because he's going to shoot like 80 out of 100 in the, you know, 100 shot workouts at the end of all these, uh, you know, pre-draft workouts. But like Jaden could go in and really impress some people once he gets out of that Purdue scheme to where I, I would, you know, look, I'm I'm not advising it, but if you did it, I wouldn't mind it. Like, I, I don't think it's a bad
1: investment of funds. Yeah, I think, too, you you hope that you're benefiting from the fact that it appears that Ivy is the top guard in the draft. So it, we, yeah. I don't think NBA teams think this way. But if the NBA team is like, well, I just don't want a big man right now. I, we need a guard. We, we're set at big man. Then maybe, you know, if the right team leaps into the number one spot and just is desperately in need of a guard, I would think hopefully you explore a trade down. Maybe you, you pick up something and get Ivy a couple of spots later, but that doesn't always work in the NBA draft. So I think that's the way where maybe you get to Ivy at number one, in addition to just, yeah, just insane acceleration. And the big 10 tournament alone, like, I feel like every single game, there was one play where it was just like, nobody in the entire country except Jaden Ivy can do that play like a semi-transition where it's like, Oh, we kind of have a one on four. Oh, nope. He's just passed all four of them and nope. Slowed yeah. down and laying it at the rim. Insane touch, insane deceleration, not just acceleration, which is important for these types. So, yep. really fun player to watch for sure. Yeah, I, I don't mind the 40 to one. Did I throw a wild one out there looking at this number? All right. So,
2: Jalen Duran is at 500 to one. <laughs> I don't think he's going to go number one. I think there is a very minuscule chance he's going to go number one. Memphis, since Imani Bates left the team, has been one of the five best teams in college basketball. Uh, they're really good offensively, really good defensively. Jalen Duren has kind of started to turn on a little bit. He has a matchup against Chet Holmgren yep. in the second round if they win their opening round game against Boise State, which is a 50-50 game. It's a typical 8-9 game, right? Now, I'm not saying that Jalen Duran is going to outperform Chet, but I do think that that Memphis team is not a great matchup for that Gonzaga team because they're physical. They're going to just like make that game look ugly and hideous and just horrible to watch. If Jalen Duran goes in and averages, it scores like 20 points and gets 15 rebounds or something like that on this Gonzaga team and leads memphis to like a sweet 16 elite eight or something like that i am not saying this is going to happen i want to be very clear with this (laughs) i like jalen duran i don't think he's this good right but at 500 to one i might throw two dollars down just
1: to say okay i don't think this is a zero sum outcome here fair that's fair you know you only need a one in 500 i love my long shots like that we're just as likely to get to that game and Jalen Duren plays like 14 minutes and fouls out. You know? Yeah. He, he picks up two totally. fouls in the first two minutes, comes back in the second half, first foul in the first you know minute of the second Fr- half, frankly, and that's it. We're probably more likely, we're yeah, much more true. likely for that to happen. Much more likely. Yeah
2: but he's been great recently. He's been awesome. He had a 20 and 20 game in the I believe it's the AAC semifinals or like 20 and 18 or something like that. Yeah. Uh he was absolutely outstanding, I thought. He's really starting to come on. He doesn't turn 19 until November. He's the youngest player in this class like if the right team like if something weird like Detroit got the number 1 overall pick who loves physical traits and is looking for a center who can be a great rim runner next to Cade Cunningham. Look, it's not something I would do. I think it's an incredibly bad idea to take Jalen Dern at number one. But can I like
1: 100% rule it out? No. no. My, my kind of guess, Sam, I, I like having you on. I love a 500 to 1 bet. Do not put more than $4 on that. Like they probably won't take $4 on it. (laughs) Yeah. Like do not
2: put more than a cup of coffee on that. It is a bad investment of money,
1: but if it works, you know, it's low enough to where you're not going to hate it. All right. I want to just do maybe a minute each on a few more of these guys. Just give listeners a quick preview of what to expect from some of these probable lottery picks. So You mentioned Keegan Murray earlier on Iowa. Iowa red hot right now. Tell me about Keegan.
2: Yeah, Keegan is one of the most uh, effective offensive scorers in the country. You look at his advanced metrics, they're absolutely outstanding in terms of efficiency, shooting, everything across the board there. He's really come on of late over the course of his last 15 games. I think he's shooting 40% from three, averaging 26 points per game. Like just an absolute force for Iowa. He's everything to that team. Um, much different than Luca Garza. For instance, last year, Keegan's six foot eight with like a seven foot wingspan and, uh, you know, a force in transition, you know, grabs and goes on the break, throws down some impressive dunks, um, really good in the half court, has started to come off of some movement shooting. Playmaker defensively, I worry a little bit about the feet at the next level defensively in terms of just being like a true impact player. I don't think he's going to be a negative there. Um, but in terms of like, it's gone to the point where I had to send off my vote for the athletics like player of the year and everything on Tuesday last week and I voted for Oscar Sheepway. Um I don't have to vote for the Naismith Player of the Year award until, you know, later on. And I think I'm closing in on the point where I would have Keegan ahead of Oscar <laughs> Sheepway right now. Um he, he's been utterly outstanding, and Iowa, I think, is the team in the Big Ten that I like to go on a run most uh, in this NCA tournament, which is, I, I hate watching Iowa most years. Uh, that is, that's a statement for me. Uh, yeah. They don't I'm defend lucky. typically. They, they fall apart at the end of the year every year, but this year they have not done that. They're led by a really good senior guard in Jordan Boannon. Uh, Chris Murray, Keegan's twin brother is a really effective three and D player Joe Toussaint's a really good point of attack defender. They have a lot of pieces that I think could lead them to go on a run,
1: but it's all centered around Keegan Murray, who is um, arguably the best player in the country right now. All right. Well, staying in the conference and in that region from Wisconsin, let's talk about Johnny Davis. This is a guy that was mostly off my radar and has really risen through the draft process this season.
2: Yeah, he had a great year uh, up until about mid-February when it seemed like he might have hurt an ankle. And, you know, he's been a bit less effective because so much of his game is built around being the six foot four to six foot five dynamic pull up guard. And as he has not been able to do that and elevate as often, uh, he has been a bit less effective and been a bit less efficient over the course of the last month. And because of that, I think that Wisconsin is at real risk of going home in the first weekend. Yep. Luckily, I don't really love this Colgate team in terms of its metrics to upset a team. Um, and then they have a six that I think is either LSU or Iowa State. And Iowa State has not been good for two months and LSU just fired Will Wade. So, like, if it was any other situation, I'd probably have Wisconsin as a team likely to go home in the first weekend um, if Johnny Davis isn't fully healthy. But it, the idea here is a good defensive guard who is six foot five, who can. Get to shots from the mid range, particularly effectively. Pretty good three point shooter, given that his degree of difficulty on his shots is typically pretty high. Uh, gets to the rim at a relatively high level. His efficiency numbers have not been great, but he's so everything for Wisconsin. Like he has to do literally everything on offense for this team. Uh, so it's, um, it's a tricky eval right now, but, uh, and we might not be seeing the best of him in the NCAA tournament. Um, given what we saw early in this season from him.
1: Yeah, it's a tough spot for him. Uh what the guy that I have right now, we talked about uh you've got Ivy and Paolo kind of back and forth. For me, my back and forth debate is right on his own team. I like AJ Griffin a lot. He uh started out slow, has uh, you know had a lot of injury history here. He's I think the best wing in the draft, possibly. What do you think about AJ Griffin? AJ's been hit or miss, you know, it's tough because those guards don't do
2: a great job. I think of getting everyone involved all the time. Realistically, he's Duke's fourth option because Mark Williams, they use him more often, like just as a roller. Um, Paulo Bancaro is obviously just a real option there. Uh, Maybe you could even say AJ is the fifth option because Trevor Keels is going to do a bunch of dribbling. And Wendell Moore is, you know, often tasked with initiating the offense. So, you know, AJ has these games that are incredibly explosive and he's a 40% three point shooter with great touch. Uh, he also has these moments where he drives and like he had a one against Miami that I remember where like he drove left, stopped, like pivoted on his right foot and hit like a crazy turnaround jumper in the like, you know, 10 foot area that. It's just so, so impressive, uh, the body control that that takes mixed with what is like a great frame at six foot six, 6'11 wingspan. I think he has kind of a Jalen Brown situation. If you remember where uh, Jalen Brown was at Cal, you know, he didn't get to show off how athletic he was all the time because Cal's court was always so packed in the paint. I think there's a similar situation with AJ Griffin. He's a better athlete than what he's gotten to show this year at Duke, uh, in part because he's coming back from injury, but in yeah. part because their court is always so condensed uh, yeah. because they have Paolo Bancaro, six foot ten, and Mark Williams, who's seven foot one, kind of always around the paint area. Um, you know, it's it's hit or miss with AJ. You never know which one you're going to get, but if, if they get four good games
1: of them, they have a good as good a chance as anyone to go to the Final yeah. Four. I've started to give Duke a little bit of the Kentucky treatment, which is that you have to be careful on these teams are just loaded with so much talent. These coaches Man. are kind of pigeonholing these guys into a role. And so how many Kentucky guys have we seen get to the next level and are like, oh wait, you can do that? Where where was that? You know, yeah. Bam Adebayo or Devin Booker, so many of these guys. And I'm starting to see, feel like Duke guys, you know, they're they're pushing so much of it through some of the other guys that I don't know that we're seeing the best of AJ Griffin. And you can kind of have to extrapolate and, and wonder a little bit about what might be there with him. Um, a couple other guys that po- are, are possible final four runs here from Kentucky, Ty Ty Washington, and then from Arizona, Benedict Matherin. What are your thoughts on either of those two? Yeah, Ty Ty is like your typical
2: combo guard, you know, six foot three, long arms, can really pass like a really, really high level passer. I just worry that he's not explosive enough athletically to be able to consistently gain separation as a ball handler. He's good in ball screens, but he's not um, wildly effective at kind of getting away from his man. Really high-level shooter, great touch, Um, can get to the mid-range and knock down pull-ups there. He's a three-level scorer, Uh, smart defensively, just has a really high feel for the game, processes things exceptionally well on the court, Um, plays basically as a two-guard. With next to severe wheeler at Kentucky. I think Kentucky late in games would do well to just give the ball to tie tie and kind of let it roll a little bit because he's gonna make the right decision most of the time. Uh just not a great athlete and that's going to lead to some defensive limitations. I almost like him most as like this hybrid point guard next to like a big wing, like a imagine like a Jimmy Butler or a Giannis or a yeah. Kawhi Leonard who can handle the ball as well and kind of share the load. Uh Ben Matherin is interesting because he's almost like a three and D without the consistent defensive aspect. It's almost like three in transition offense, right? Like really good in transition can throw down dunks, very high level athlete, six foot six, you know, six foot nine, six foot 10 wingspan um, really can shoot the ball on the move. His movement shooting is absolutely outrageous. Uh, you know, 38 to 40% three point shooter in the NBA. He just needs to engage more defensively, I think, to really reach his NBA ceiling. I, I like Ben Matherin, but you know, theres uh, he's definitely like a lottery guy for me, but he needs to lock in a little bit more on the defensive end consistently, I think. He's not a bad defender, but he needs to be more defensively.
1: Yeah, he, he's a guy, especially that you look at as an NBA fan, you're like, oh, yep, yeah, I know him. He's, he's an NBA player. You just see the shots, yeah. you see how he plays, and he just fits in right away. So easy fit there. Uh, we, I know we could talk, guys, for hours and hours, but you've got thousands of words to write this week before the tournament. Is there anyone else that you feel like, before we wrap up here, is anyone else that our listeners just, you know, you're dying to tell us about someone that can move into the lottery or first round of the big tournament, The sleep you've got your eye on? Anyone else come to mind there? Oh, you know, the, here's the thing about this NBA draft
2: class, and this is what makes it so exciting, right? The 2022 NBA draft, I would say they're probably – 16, 17 guys right now that I feel like are locked into being first round picks. It's wide open for the second half right now. Like you could tell me that someone like um Jaime Hawkes for UCLA goes on a deep run in the NCAA tournament and spikes into the first round because he makes a ton of contested shots. He's an all defense guy in the Pac-12. He's physical. He rebounds. Like he's just awesome. Like you could tell me Wendell Moore spikes into the first round. You could tell me that um You know, Musa Diabate, if he has a great first round against David Roddy, uh, defending him for Colorado State, one of the most polished scoring bowling balls you'll ever see in college basketball. (laughs) Um, If he does well against him, like you can see that really kind of spiking into a first round grade. There are just so many guys. Caleb Houston on Michigan's another one. Um, you You know, Baylor Shireman at like South Dakota State. Uh, I've heard some teams really like him uh, is like an interesting player. So, you know, th- there are just so many guys. There's so many interesting matchups that I'm really excited to watch, especially here in the first round. And, you know, I think it could lead to a lot of kind of crazy outcomes. Kennedy Chandler is coming on strong for Tennessee. He just won the SEC tournament MVP. It's it's a, such a fun tournament. It's profiling to be such an incredibly mm-hmm. fun tournament that uh, I would absolutely suggest everyone tune in. and. um mm-hmm. Bet on some games and have some fun because this is a this is a wild. It's, it's going to be a really really fun upset laden event.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right, last question for you. We are Action Network after all. So, are there any other bets you need to get off your chest? A Final Four future, an NBA award or future? Ooh. Anything for our listeners? Where else can they put their two or four dollar coffee bet today?
2: That's a great question. You know, Arizona, it looks like is six to one to win the title. I don't mind that. I think Arizona's pretty good. Um, kind of like Texas Tech at five and a half to one to win the West region. That's not not a bad one to me. Uh, I think that they're really quite uh tough and physical and strong. Um, you know, I'm kind of kind of thinking of teams that have interesting sweet sixteen um Pathways like Wisconsin has kind of an interesting sweet 16 pathway. It looks like you can get them at plus 114. Uh, And again, LSU has lost their head coach. Iowa State has not been good for two months now. Uh, That's their 6 11 matchup if they can get past Colgate in their first game at their pod. Uh, So plus 114 doesn't bother me there. So Houston is plus 116 to make the sweet 16. Illinois is good. They're not great. That's the four thirteen. The, the The other team could be Chattanooga. You're betting on Houston against Chattanooga every day yeah, for sure. Um, Houston is a top five team basically across the board in all metrics right now, and I can't figure out why they're not the clear favorite right now to come through that pod and make it to the Sweet Sixteen, given that. So I don't mind Houston at like plus plus one fourteen. I think is the number to get to the sweet 16.
1: That's not bad. Yeah, that's interesting. I I'm struggling with that one. I really like UAB. They were a team that I was looking for the right matchup as a possible sleeper. And I don't know if Houston is the right matchup. Houston is underseeded and not who UAB wanted to see. So, but I wonder if maybe they're getting a little bit of credit. Maybe that's why that number is a bit lower than, than we're thinking, but I think whoever wins that matchup wins the next one and then has a really good shot against Arizona too. Like that's, that's a really good game there, but it's hard to figure out which way that one goes. Houston, the metrics have been so strong though, for sure.
2: Well, the, the other thing with Houston is Kelvin Sampson is Awesome. Calvin Sampson's so good. Like, I don't want to be the person to bet against him. He's going to diagnose and figure out exactly what the problems are if they're, if they come. And they probably will come against UAB. Like, I agree with you. Um, Jelly Walker's a really good scoring guard. Trey Jemison is like a seven-foot real interior defender who gives them value. Um, KJ Buffin's like a high major player who's there right now for reasons beyond me um like it's uab is a really talented team it's just that like i and i think andy kennedy is a good coach but like i just can't i can't quite get there to where i'm like Mm -hmm. oh yeah like they're gonna beat this team that's top five and all the efficiency metrics and has a guy that i consider to be like a top eight coach in the country and like i know that they're not the most talented team in the world but they're tough as hell man like I, i don't I I wouldn't feel great about betting against a uh, Houston team, to be honest.
1: I can talk myself into and out of about 25 teams. So it is going to be a fun tournament. Uh, I'm excited to watch a lot of these draft prospects. I'm excited. We get to hopefully watch a lot of them, two, three, four games. You know, it's a little different than Mm. most tournaments here. And we're going to get some of these really interesting matchups. Like it's not all about these games. The rest of the season matters, but. To get these high-level games against high-level competition with everything on the line, it's a big deal. And there's a lot of scouts watching, a lot of eyeballs watching. So uh, we got to wrap things up today here at Buckets. Thank you again to Sam Vassini uh, from the Athletic Game Theory Podcast. Make sure to check those out. All the podcast deep dives you need on every prospect out there. I listen to every one of those. Uh, Sam, I know you got the big boards at the Athletic. You got mock drafts. What, What can we be looking for from you these next couple of weeks?
2: Yeah, I just ran a thing today as we're recording. I don't know when this is going to go up. I ran it on Monday in the United States. Uh, The nine matchups I'm looking forward to scouting most in the first round, you know, Malachi Branham against Lucas Williamson with Ohio State, Loyola, Chicago, David Roddy against Michigan's front court. A lot of really, really fun analysis there. I've got bets coming up. uh, My favorite first round matchups that I'm going to bet on. Um, You know, the one that I'm looking at there is... I think that the analytics are a bit high on South Dakota state. When I saw that immediately, I was like, okay, this number on Providence is going to be like one or two. It wouldn't surprise me if by the time tip time comes, it's like one. Yeah. And I'm going to hammer Providence because they are old, they're experienced. uh, They're bigger than South Dakota state is they're physical. And they have a legit matchup to throw on Baylor Shireman and Justin Manaya, so yeah, I, I that's one that I'm just looking at immediately. Um, but I, I'm going to have best bets on uh, the Athletic at some point, and then I'll have like just an overall viewers guide. There's not going to be a crazy amount of analysis with it, but like literally when you're watching games. What players do you have to watch? It will literally just be a list with like a sentence after um, in terms of what you should be watching for with these games. So, uh, not my most long winded effort, but it will be something that I think will be valuable for uh, a lot of people trying to figure out what they need
1: to look for. And for those that want to hear more about any of these prospects, and need the long-winded version check the podcast check the athletic so we'll be back next week at buckets with all the usual nba episodes heading toward the postseason under a month away now from the play-in games thank you again to sam and looking forward to some draft prospects and march madness let's get buckets